here at Richmond Hill, we have several practices in place that people aren't always excited about. Uh, but they are there to enhance the communal aspect of who we are. People don't always wish to adhere to them, and as a matter of fact, sometimes people are even offended by them. Several of them has to do, uh, have to do with how we share our meals together. No electronics in the refectory, no official meetings in the refectory, and the one I think relates, relates most to our gospel reading tonight is the one where we ask people, especially residents, to sit with someone they don't know. The residents especially are encouraged to spread out and don't sit all at the same table. A few years ago when I was leading retreats regularly, if a meal was involved, I would incorporate what I call table talk. It was a way of opening up new and unexpected conversations and prayerfully life-giving conversations. Not long after starting that as a practice of my own, someone told me about a table ornament called Table Topics. It holds cards which, with questions designed to stimulate conversation at the table. A couple of examples of what you might find on some of those cards are how did your grandparents meet and fall in love? Which famous athlete would you love to meet and why? Some people I've found use these cards at work, therapists and counselors, chaplains, and I understand that they are really good for working with older folk in assisted living and, and nursing facilities. There are also versions targeting teenagers and married couples, book clubs, and so forth. And just recently, I was at a church celebrating a, at a banquet celebration there, and they used similar cards to stimulate conversations among the people who were there for the celebration. Thoughts of the popularity of these cards as well as the practice of spreading out among our guests here at Richmond Hill, remind me that something very fundamental happens in conversations over food. But why should that matter? Don't we come to the table to eat? Isn't the main focus of the table the food that's set before us? And simply put, from a scientific point of view, the purpose of food and eating is to provide fuel for the body. Yet, if that were all to it, I suppose each of us would, could just get through a day with an injection full of proteins or carbohydrates or fats and be satisfied. But in sharing a meal, there must be something greater than all, that all of us yearn for. People who understand that there is a deeper yearning makes millions of dollars every year because they understand that food is not simply food fuel for the body. There are levels of meaning or layers of meaning around food. It's complicated and it gets even more complicated when we consider just what happens when we sit down to share a meal together. The text for our, for our consideration tonight 
picks up immediately after John's retelling of the sharing of a meal, the feeding of the multitude. Unlike the other three gospel writers who tell the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and then move on to the next thing, the longest chapter in the Gospel of John is chapter 6, explaining exactly what just happened at the meal. There are lots of questions and answers, disagreements and arguments, and all in the service of making sure that we understand exactly what was going on when all those people ate from two fish and five loaves of bread and were filled and had some left over. Right from the beginning, this text lets us know that Jesus shows us that there were those who didn't understand what was going on. There were those who apparently mistook the food for just being merely food. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus says, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. The people seemed to think that the only important thing about what had happened was that they were hungry and now they had been fed. Jesus seems to be calling them out on their tendency to approach life with nothing more than their being absorbed with their own personal agendas or concerns. And unfortunately, most of us are quite guilty of being absorbed in our own agendas and concerns. So if Jesus was calling them out to show them something different, I would venture to say that the message of his calling out might be for us as well. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. In other words, there is food, and then there's food. This is not unlike the message Jesus tried to convey to his disciples when he was at the well with the Samaritan woman. Remember, if you remember that story in chapter 4, the disciples tried to get Jesus to stop talking to the Samaritan woman and eat. And Jesus' reply was, I have food to eat that you don't know about. Jesus wants all of us to be mindful that there is food that will feed our bodies and then there is food that will feed our souls. That's what I'm all about, Jesus is saying. Food that endures for eternal life. And as I consider this back and forth between Jesus and the people who followed him, it seems to me that Jesus is inviting those who would hear to know that in God, sharing a meal is not just about the food we eat. There's always a greater gift. There's always the divine giver. And there's always more to gain than we can ever imagine. The gift. The gift of a good meal might not be the only gift that's waiting for us. I would venture to say that the motivation behind our practice of spreading out and sitting with someone you don't know is the idea that there just may be a gift waiting for you that you know not of. It may be that you will be the gift to someone else that they know not of. 
Jesus makes it known that there is no point in feeding our bodies if our souls and intellects are left to starve. Every time we eat dinner with the intent of listening to another or looking into someone's eyes or just truly being present with someone, we are being fed by a deep and meaningful encounter. And not to do so may very well cause us to not to deny ourselves of some morsel of truth or some word of life that comes with breaking bread with another Christ-filled individual. Yes, by all means, feast on the bread. But don't forget, Jesus says, to feast on me. The greater gift, your source of eternal life, the one on whom God has set his seal, the expressed image of God, the word of God, the son of God, the lamb of God, the bread of life. Jesus the Christ, God's signature on all that is good and holy and gracious in our lives. The spiritual bread from God comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Not just to 5,000, not just to a wandering nation, but to the world. God is the giver. The giver. There is food, and then there's food. There is eating, and then there's eating. What good is it, Jesus seems to be saying, if your stomachs are full, if you have no idea who the author of the feast is? What good is it if you settle for full stomachs when the greater gift is to have full souls? Every week in preparation for the Eucharist, one of the residents here prepared the table for our communion meal. It's a strange kind of meal, isn't it? You come forth, you receive a tiny piece of bread, a little sip of wine, or whatever your bread might soak up as you do the intention. But it's bread that is so much more than bread. Fruit of the vine that is so much more than the fruit of the vine. Food that is so much more than food because it draws our attention beyond what we are eating to the giver of all that is good and gracious. A meal so much less than our appetites are used to and yet so much more than a meal, a meal defined by the love of the one who gives it to us. Jesus helps us to see that in clinging to that which satisfies our physical bodies or our agendas or our egos, we can, only, we can easily misinterpret the signs of eternal life that are right before us. Yet, in spite of ourselves, God, who is the giver of good and perfect gifts, keep on, keeps on working in our lives. God keeps on acting on our behalf. For all things work to the good of those who love God and are called according to God's purpose. Despite the fact that God had already given the greatest of gifts, the people asked, what sign are you going to give us then? 
so that we may see it and believe you. What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. In essence, their argument was merely about food and the ancient equivalent of saying the church down the road supplied food for a whole nation of people. And how many folks did you feed in your soup kitchen? In reply to their challenge, Jesus recalls for them the ultimate source of the giver of bread. Very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. He was reminding them that it was God, not Moses, who has always been the principal giver in our lives. It was God who gave the manna in the wilderness. Moses prayed and God answered that prayer, but it was God who provided the manna. And it is God who will continue to nurture, God, nourish God's people. It is God who gives the true bread from heaven always. We only have to go a few chapters back in the gospel to be reminded, reminded that God loved us so much that God gave his only begotten son that we might have eternal life. God, the giver of good and perfect gifts. And we're the ones who gained. Just as God has been there in the past giving, God is here in the present giving, and God will be in the future giving. And it is God's word which makes us to know that eye has not seen or ear heard what God has in store for God's people. The true bread is given by God. This bread is Jesus Christ himself. He comes down from heaven and gives life to the world for all times and for all people. And we are the ones who have gained. Jesus said, I am the bread of life and whoever comes to me will never hunger and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. We are the ones who have gained the life that Jesus Christ can offer. And we continue to gain it each and every time we see Christ in somebody else or experience Christ in someone else. What a difference it would make in our lives if we truly believe that God through Jesus Christ is always making and working for good in our lives. The text lets us know that even after Jesus had said all that he had to say, the people were still concerned about themselves, not concerned about the larger world, not concerned about the love that God was pouring out on everyone. They were happy to have a continuous supply of bread that would meet their own needs and leave their lives undisturbed. They said, sir, give us this bread always. They were asking for what they needed without really understanding what they were asking for. And the tone of their request sounds a lot like the Samaritan woman when she said to Jesus, Sir, give me this water that I may never thirst again. 
If you have Christ, not only have you gained water that you might not thirst again, but you have also gained the bread upon which you can feast day and night. You can walk with him. You can talk with him. You can call him your own. He makes us to know that the food that sustained him is made up of the same ingredients as the food that is promised to us. There is food, and then there is food. In Christ coming down from heaven, a new order has unfolded in our midst. It's an order of love, healing, and life. In the epistle that Mary Lou read earlier, Paul demonstrates in his letter to the church at Ephesus that in the gift of Jesus Christ, the bread from heaven, we gain an ever-evolving ever faith, a gift for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. The work of God is not a work we do for God. It is the work that God does in us so that we can believe and that we can live. And that work in our lives conforms to the work that Jesus Christ has given us to do. God proves himself over and over again as our faith increases, every time God shows up, even at a meal, every time we walk away from a meal feeling like our souls have been fed, we know that it's not just about what we have eaten, but about a God who makes our faith to increase. Isn't it wonderful to know that we can't, that even when we can't believe God for what God is doing in our lives right now, God doesn't give up on us. God continues to gift us with what we need and what God desires for us. And if God doesn't give up on us, then we shouldn't give up on ourselves and we shouldn't give up on others. Let us hear what Christ has to offer us in these words tonight. Let us not miss the sign. The table we gather around today offers a meal that is served with abundance that only Christ offers us, bread and fruit of the vine. A feast that satisfies not only our bodies, but our souls as well. It is God, the giver of life the giver of good and perfect gifts, who calls us to feast on the gifts that he has given us. The gifts of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.